0: Uh, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. We are uh, we're right dead center in the middle of our series bringing sexy back. It has been, uh, it's been has been an awesome series so far. Uh, there's just been I'm, I'm telling you we we've we've been doing a lot of series and done a lot of messages and a lot of things. But we have never gotten this much feedback from one series. Uh, and it's just been an awesome thing. The Lord's just been moving in all types of different ways, um, and we love it. We're excited about it. Uh, before we kind of get into this, if you if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to First Corinthians chapter six, and you can just kind of hang out there around verse ten. And we'll get there in a second, but I, I want to just take one second to kind of talk about this upcoming Saturday, man. We have, uh, we've been growing a ton as a church and we have been doing little projects here and there and building and all of our ministries from Wednesday night um, to the kids ministry to our media team to the ushers and welcome, every little, every ministry we've done is just growing and expanding um, and there's tons of opportunity for people to get involved. In the last few weeks, uh, we've opened up the doors for you guys to sign up and so many of you have and I thank you so much for that Um, and and one of the things that we really want to do, we're really concentrating on this year is we want to prepare our volunteers uh, uh, to really understand why we're doing what we're doing and, and, and fall in love with the, uh, with, with the opportunity that they have and to train them well. And so this Saturday, we're getting everybody together and we're going through all kinds of different stuff and it's going to be awesome. We're going to feed you guys. Uh, most of you guys are going to get a t-shirt and uh, it, we're just going to be able to hang out together, get to know one another and really be a part of this thing. And so if you filled out one of those cards a few weeks ago, uh, our teams have been trying to uh, get in contact with you over the last uh, two weeks, emails and uh, phone calls. And um, if you don't check your email or your voicemails you're just ignoring us that's totally fine too but if you if you have not Gotten in contact with us, we haven't gotten in contact with you. It's not because we're not trying, but this Saturday we want you uh, to be here. We just want to hang out with you guys and just see if we can cast a vision into your life and and really just and, and really hit 2015 with a, with a bang this year uh, because we there's a lot of things coming. There's a lot of things I can't talk about right now, but there's a lot of awesome things uh, coming this year. Some very 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 soon. Um, and we need we just we need you guys. We need you to continue to be a part. And and one thing I just really want to encourage you guys and kind of brag on y'all about it and just tell y'all um, y'all understand that. We have over 70%, I think at one point, 60% of our church volunteers is at our church. That is an incredible statistic. If you know anything about church volunteer, that is astronomically over the charts out of this water, amazing, compared to a lot of the other churches, a lot of the other big churches. So I want to thank you guys for your faithfulness. Thank you for the way you serve. Thank you guys for the ones that people see and for the ones that people don't see. Um, We do what we do. I get to stand up here and I get to be in front of everybody and I get to do my thing, but I'm telling you, man... This thing doesn't happen without you guys, and so I just want to thank you for that and encourage you to be here Saturday. We're going to feed you. We're going to make you fat. We're going to have some fun. It's going to be awesome, uh, so be here, and, um, and I'm going to go ahead and pray you real fast, and, and then we'll get started. And Lord God, I just want to thank you, Lord, uh, just, just for the way you have moved through this series, God, just for the way you have opened up our hearts and our minds to you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, just for your word, God, just just for the design of life that you've given us, God, just for the the powerfulness of marriage and sex and love and intimacy, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to study these things and we continue to learn about these things, God, that you would just keep moving, God. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would just let your spirit and your presence be with us, God. I pray, Father, that you will take every ounce of my flesh, every ounce of my mind out of this message and let it be nothing but your words and nothing but your spirit, God. And I pray, Lord, um, that we would just leave here today, God, knowing, Father, that we we are in a just a deep just powerful place in our lives lord god to where we can be in a relationship with you and seek and find this thing called love that we desire so much god and i pray lord right now that you'll just let your spirit be with us open up our hearts and our minds to your word in your name Amen. So listen, over the last few weeks, this is kind of the course of the series. What we've done is we we've kind of at the very beginning, we said, listen, guys, we've got a sex problem in this country. We've got a sex problem in this world. We've got a sex problem in this culture. But the problem is not sex itself. The problem is that we have taken things um, that God says is so valuable. We've taken things that God says is so important. We've taken things like marriage and sex and love and intimacy. What God says is just it's worth so much to him. It's top shelf to him, and we've taken it off the top shelf and we put it down to the bottom bottom shelf. We've taken things like marriage and, and, we've, and we've separated, we've tried to take sex out of it and we've lowered it down. We've made it something that it's not supposed to be. And this is creating so many different problems for our culture and for our generations and for our marriages and for our families. And, and it's just one of the things that we've done. And so over the last few weeks, what we've done is we've taken marriage and we've taken sex and we've taken love last week and we've taken intimacy and we've tried to, to put it back to where it is, raise the bar back, raise the standard, of, p- try to show it to where the, so that we could view it the way that. God God views it, so that we could view marriage the way that God views marriage, so that we could view love the way that God views love, so that we could view sex the way that God views sex. And it's just been awesome for me, because as I've gone through and I've studied this, there's so much that I didn't know. There's so much that I've learned, and I I believe with all my heart that that God has just opened up and just done his thing in our hearts and our lives. Um, And and for the rest of this series, starting next week, we're going to get super practical. This is some of my favorite parts of the series when we get practical, because there's a lot of times people say really good things, and, and and you believe them, and you get it, and you understand it, but then you're like, okay, how the heck do I apply that to my life? All right, how, how do I take that? How Okay, marriage is back up here. I get it. I believe you. I've done it. I buy into it. But now, what does that look like and what does that mean? And, and for the last two, next week and the week after, that's what that's going to all be about. And we're going to get into dating and how to date and, and we're going to, uh, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to teach, teach uh, married men how to date their wives all over again. That's going to be awesome. And uh, increase the amount of I don't know. What do, you, what do you think I'm talking about? alright We're going to just increase the love and the intimacy and the sex and marriage. I mean, we're just going to look at it and we're going to raise it and we're going to look at God's design. And somebody just said, woohoo. Like, that. like that's what we're going to do and it's going to be awesome. We're going to look at dating um, outside of marriage and what that is and where it came from and maybe the problems in it and the way the culture views it. And it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be great. But today, right in the middle of this series, there's two more things that need to be elevated. There's two more things that are on the bottom shelf that we need to put back on the top shelf. And, and, and Paul really takes a stab at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he tackles something that's very, very, very important. And today's going to be very, very simple. But it's a very, very powerful message that Paul's trying to get across in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, and, and as he kind of starts this out... One of the first statements he makes is kind of an odd statement, um, and it makes sense if you read the rest of the Bible. I know you guys don't read the Bible, but you ought to sometime. But if you read the, the chapters leading up to it, and that was a joke, if you're reading chapters leading up to it, he's talking about all kinds of different things, and he gets to this one thing, he makes this statement. He says, listen, guys, everything's lawful. Everything's, everything's available to you. Everything You can do, there's so much that you can do, but just because you can do it doesn't mean that it's good for you. And he talks about food. He says, listen, everybody can eat, everybody can drink, but that doesn't mean that overeating and drinking is good for you. Does that make sense? All right, so he, he kind of makes this weird statement, but then he kind of comes to this part, and this is where we're going to start. And he makes this one statement, and, and if you kind of grew up in church, you're probably familiar with this chapter, but it's just, there's so much packed into just a few short verses, and I just wanted to just take a second, take this Sunday, to really look at the meaning of Paul. And this is what he says right here. He says, listen, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. The body is not meant... For sexual sin. The body is not meant for sin. Now, I, I want you to think about that because a lot of times when we think about sex or we think about sexual immorality, we think about sex outside of marriage or we think about whatever. I mean, you just you, you fill in whatever X is. You fill in the blank. You fill in that variable. What, whatever that thing is, whether it's porn or it's adultery or it's this or it's that, whatever, whatever that thing is for you, that thing that you kind of mess with. So that thing that you go, when you think about sexual immorality or you think about sexual sin, whatever it is, a lot of times we don't think about this statement. We don't think about it the way that Paul's saying it. The body isn't designed for sin. The body's not designed for sexual immorality. And see, there's a lot of you right there, and, and, and I'm going to get a little, little kids I need to be in the kids' ministry. So they're, they're, you're thinking, well, all the parts fit, right? Uh, Jordan, I think you missed one there. We are designed. No, you're designed for sex you're not designed for sexual immorality because there's so much more to the body than just the physical outside of us. And you're right. And the reason Paul makes that little smart aleck remark, listen, you have the ability to do a whole bunch of things. You have the ability, you have, the, you have the, 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 uh, the possibility. It's lawful. You can do just about anything you put your mind to, but that doesn't mean that it's good for you. And he comes down to the sin, and he says, listen, the body is not designed for sexual immorality. It is not designed for sin. Your body is not designed for sin. You can still sin. You can still have sex outside of marriage. You can still take part of these things, but your body's not designed for it. And I want you to understand the depth of this. I want you to understand what Paul's really saying here. He's saying, listen, you are not physically designed for sexual immorality. You are not emotionally designed for sexual immorality. You are not neurologically designed for sexual immorality. Paul made this statement long before uh, neurologists proved a lot of awesome things about our brain. I said this the week before, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Do you understand that your body neurologically is created to be addicted to whatever you make love to? Did you know that? Raise your hand. Did you know that before I told you two weeks ago? (laughs) Because either you're a neurologist or you just do research all the time nerds whatever <laughs> everyone knows that jordan okay no one knows that okay i didn't know that neurologically you are cre- you will get addicted you are made to fall in love with just in this way that cannot be explained you're neurologically designed for sex but you are not neurologically designed to have multiple partners in this life that's just a fact that's how you're built that's how you're created anybody who's ever been through a divorce, anybody who's ever been in a sexual relationship and that relationship ended, any one of those people, if they're honest with you, they will tell you this fact, you are not emotionally designed for sexual immorality. You know that feeling, that emotion, man, when you come out of a relationship and sex was a part of that relationship, you know for a fact that's different than a relationship ending that didn't have sex, right? Anybody, non-Christians, I'll tell you that. Why? Because your body is emotionally charged, it's emotionally changed when sex is involved and you are not designed for the consequences, the emotional chaos and the emotional destruction that comes from sexual immorality. You're not designed for it. Absolutely 100% not designed for it. Your bodies, your minds, your emotions, literally the neurons in your brain, the spiritual part of you, your soul, You are not meant for sexual immorality. You are not designed for it. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, and I think if we all, if, we're, if we, really just take this to heart and we really think about it, and we really think about the emotional chaos and the emotional pain and the struggles that come from sexual immorality, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in God, you, I think that if you really think about it, you would have to agree that our bodies are not emotionally, neurologically, physically, spiritually designed for sexual immorality or the consequences that come from sexual immorality. And, he, and here's the thing. No matter what it is, anything that begins to operate outside of the way it's designed is gonna create problems in your life. Anything. Funny story I own an axe. Monday, that's not the funny part. Monday, storm's coming, you know, all hell's gonna break loose. Walmart runs out of everything. There's a thousand southerners running around, <laughs> an inch of ice is coming. Let's go buy all the bread and milk. I never understood that, FYI. There was a guy who had three loaves of bread and three things of milk. <laughs> Storm's coming. Have you ever actually to think about what you're doing or you just do that because that's what people do? What in the world do you need bread and milk for in an ice storm? Never thought. I mean, honestly, I never really, I never really got that. Walmart's freaking out. I'm sitting there going to le- electricity. They're, they're warning there's going to be power outages. So I'm like, listen, we got a fireplace. I'm going to take my axe. I'm going to go home and I'm going to chop some wood. All right, so I go home, I get home, I, I get my little wood, I start chopping the wood, I cut the wood up, I bring the wood in, it's all good, we got some wood, and everything worked out great. Why? Because an axe is designed for what? Axe is designed for wood. Do you know what an axe is not designed for? <laughs> chopping ice up on your driveway. <laughs> so Wednesday, I, like, listen, I, if you know me at all, like, I'm not one to be stuck in the house for too long. So I was like, dude, Wednesday morning, I'm leaving. I don't care. Wednesday afternoon, I'm gone. I will not be in the house 2 o'clock by Wednesday. That was it. That's what I gave the weather. Rain, snow, sleet, or shine, I'm leaving my house on Wednesday. So we get out. I come back Wednesday, and, and I chop the little ice up, and we get the ice down, and the driveway looks... Like, man, the driveway looks like it's good to go. So I'm, I'm driving back down the driveway, and because I'm an idiot, I didn't check the bottom of the driveway. And so I have a really steep driveway, so I get down to the bottom, I get kind of turned around, and there's about six feet of a sheet of ice. And my back tires kind of slide up on that, and guess what happens? I get stuck. So I'm and I call my dad, I call some different people, I'm like, I need some advice. I mean, how do I handle that? And he goes, All right, you got this? Nope. But you got this? Nope. But you got this? Nope. He says, All right, you're out of luck. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, crap. So I go in there. I get an ax. I walk outside and I start trying to chop that wood up. I mean, that, the ice up <laughs> under my tires. I'm, I'm literally outside bent over. Listen, an ax is designed to chop wood. An ax is not designed to chop ice. So there's a whole bunch of little things happening. One, I'm ruining my driveway all right, because I'm nicking it with the, as it's cutting through the ice. I can literally see the, the blade shaking as I'm hitting the concrete. It's not that good of an ax, I guess. And I'm bent over. My back's hurting because I look like it idiot After chopping ice under my car I don't have the real salt you're supposed to have so I go upstairs and I get the table salt and I'm like (laughs) dumping it all over one of the things I needed was gravel I didn't have any gravel so I just went and got dirt and mud and I was like trying to shove it under there and I got woods and boards and I literally wouldn't go for like 40 minutes it just wouldn't go up and finally I just got in my car and I said listen I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hit the gas as hard as I can as hard as I can and whatever happens happens as God is my witness, the speedometer sits 70 miles an hour. In my driveway, the wheels are just turning. Finally, it started moving just a little bit, caught some traction, about literally like back to the future did out of that driveway. <laughs> but it was like, the point of the story is this, is that when you have a whole bunch of things that you're trying to use and they're not designed for it, there creates more problems. I had more problems by the end of that because I was using an ax to chop ice. Right? I was using table salt to melt ice, which doesn't work, FYI. I was using mud instead of gravel. I didn't have any of the things that it was meant for. I didn't have any things I was supposed to use, and I created more of a dilemma and more of a problem when you start using things out of things that aren't designed for. Our bodies are the same way. Listen, I know, listen, anybody watch boxing? Nope, because they invented UFC, and boxing sucks now. So anybody watch UFC? All right, listen. UFC, listen, it is designed, all right? To beat the crap out of one another. That's what it's for. You have the ability to do it. You have the ability to fight. You have the power to fight. You can train for it. You can get in there for it. But here, it does not mean that your body is designed to fight. Anybody talk to Muhammad Ali lately? The answer is nobody has talked to Muhammad Ali lately. Because the man can't talk anymore. Because they banged on his head for 30 years. 30 years. He had the ability to fight, the power to fight. He trained to fight. He was great at it. One of the best, if not the best. But his body is proof that when you start using anything outside what it's designed for, there are problems that show up. As much as I love football. Dude, our bodies are not made to crack each other's heads open over and over and over and over again. As much as we love it, our bodies aren't designed for it. Ask any linebacker. Ask any linebacker that's had a few concussions whether our bodies are meant for that. It's not meant for it. It's not designed for it. Listen, guys. Sex is the same exact way. We are not designed for sexual immorality. Our brains are not designed for it. Our emotional side, our souls, our spirits, our bodies are not designed for sexual immorality and when we start operating in sexual immorality and we start letting those things get in there are problems that are created in our life there are problems that are created in our life when we start doing things and listen here's the deal we don't realize the things that we do as teenagers are going to affect our marriages years from now we don't, we, don't, we don't get, all right, when pornography gets a little bit a part of our life, we don't realize that 15 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road, it's going to affect things in your life. We don't get us. We kind of go through high school. We go through college. Or we go through this part of our life where we're just going from one partner to another, one partner to another, one partner to another. We don't realize that scientists now say, listen, that when you do that as a teenager, you do that in your younger years, that you are literally destroying your ability to be intimate and have a committed relationship. Did you know that? You are far, far more likely if you have more than one sexual partner to experience at least one divorce in your life. Secular science, secular sociology has proven that. Far more likely, far more likely. When you begin to do things that you are not designed to do, problems will show up. Because as we talked about the first two weeks, sex isn't just Sex. Sex is a highly volatile, deeply spiritual, powerful thing that God has given. And there is a design for marriage, and there is a design for sex, and there is a design for love, and there is a design for intimacy, and there is a design for your body. And your body is not designed for sexual immorality. And when you take part in sexual immorality, sin, sinner, believer, not go to church, don't go to church, believe in God, don't go to church, it doesn't matter. There are consequences There are issues, there are problems that are created. And usually they don't show up until you're married. And you face them and you deal with them. Intimacy issues and commitment issues. We'll talk more about that next week. But Paul says, listen, your body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not designed for it. And if you do it, there's going to be issues that are going to be created. Instead, he says, listen, your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And he goes on to say this, And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now, I want you to think about that just for a second, because he's about to get into something pretty deep. He says, Do you not realize that you're a part of Jesus Christ, that you're, as a believer, as you put your faith in Jesus, that your body is actually a part of Christ? I want you to notice a pattern. We'll get to this at the end. He said, first off, he said, your body is not meant for sin, your body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The second thing he says is, he says, your body is members of Christ. You're a part of Christ. You're connected to Christ. Christ is a part of yourself. He's a part of your life. He's a part of your body and you are a part of him. And then Paul says something that nobody's going to really like that much. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? I mean, just say that in your mind. Are you going to take Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the savior of the universe, and put him in a sexual situation with a prostitute? Think about that. The answer is obviously never. Nobody's going to be like, yeah, that's, that's something I think I would do. Even, even somebody who doesn't even believe in God. So if there's any value to Jesus, listen, I would never put him in. That doesn't even make sense. I would never do that. Paul goes on to explain his question. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now I'm going to say something that's going to offend a lot of people and I want you to I want you to be offended by it. I want you to I want to drill it in your brain. I want you to think about it. As a believer, as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, free pass, just hang out for a minute. But as a Christian, as a believer, uh, your body's meant for the Lord, the Lord for the body. You're a part of Christ. Christ is a part of you, and you are one spirit with God, and God is one spirit with you. You are connected to God in an amazing, powerful, miraculous way that the cross has given us. You're in a relationship with the living God. And he says, and when you take part in sexual immorality, with a prostitute, or with some girl in the back seat of your car, or with some guy in your house when your parents are out of town, or with somebody that you're not married to, or maybe it's a computer screen... What do you think his point is? Because maybe I don't have the guts to actually say what he's really trying to say. He's saying you're going to take part in a threesome. When as a Christian, if you engage your body in sexual immorality, the Spirit of God, Christ, is right there with you. See, I think we have this myth with no biblical basis for it. I've heard it all my life. When you start to sin, Jesus leaves you. He's gone. He's away. He's not going to be there. You sin, Jesus is gone. Is that what Paul says? He says when you sin, the Savior of the universe is right there with you. Because even in the darkest moments of your life, Jesus is still your Savior. And just because you turn your back on God or you give your body away, Jesus says, I promised I would never leave you. I would never forsake you. I want you to think about the the power of that. I want you to think about the, the consequence of that. It's not just you alone at night with a computer when your wife's asleep, or your husband's asleep. It's you and it's Jesus as a believer. It's not just you hanging out at a party in a back room somewhere. It's you and it's Jesus. It's not just you in the backseat of a car with somebody you don't know. It's you and it's Jesus as a believer because what he did on the cross is far more powerful than many of us truly understand. He is a part of you. You are a part of him. And sexual immorality is deep and powerful in itself. And Paul says, don't you understand that this is what's taking place? This is how powerful it is. This is how deep it is. This is how serious it is. Would you ever connect Jesus Christ, the most holy, righteous savior of the world, creator of the universe, to a prostitute? And he says, then why do you do it? And he goes on to say this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body if there's one sentence I want you to take away from this entire series, it's flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Run from it. Get away from it. Because it's that serious. It's that dangerous. But I want to I share with you a reality, something that's very simple, something that you're going to, oh, yeah, I get that. That's true. You will only flee from something that you fear. You need to write that down. You will only flee from something you fear. Do you know the problem with the church today is we don't fear sin. We don't fear sexual immorality. See, we've just gotten to the point to where, you know what? Sexual immorality is just a part of our culture. It's just a part of who we are. That's a part of our life. That's a part of us. That's just what it is. Pornography, Jordan even said it. 94% of us have an issue with pornography. 94% of men have an issue with pornography. That's just a part of who we are. That's just kind of what it is. It's just that thing. That's just what it is. 53% of all marriages are affected by adultery. That's just what it is. It's just a part of life. It's just it. That's just what it is. Sex is everywhere. It's on TV. It's on commercials. It's on billboards. It's on the internet. It's on Facebook. It's everywhere. It's just a part of life. And it becomes this thing, and it's just a part. It's just who it is. It's just, that's just what it is. And he says, no, I man, you need to flee from it. You need to run from it. You don't run from it. You don't flee from it. You don't fight it because you don't fear it. And you don't fear it because you don't think It's dangerous because you don't think about that. At least I didn't. I didn't think about that. I don't think I really truly thought about the seriousness of sexual sin until I was around 24, 25 years old. And after that, it it was far too late in many ways. I want you to understand something about sin. Over and over and over and over again, God commands us to stay away from it. Not because he's trying to hide something good from us, I mean, you get that, right? Man, I just, I really want to sin. And God's like, no, don't sin. And, and I mean, I think he's just, I think he's trying to just, you know, keep me from something fun. God's like, no, man, you're going to walk in that house and you're going to destroy your entire life. Walk away. See, the wages of sin is death. Romans. The wages of sin is Death. I want you to understand that. I want you to get that, dude. Sin, when it shows up, the result of sin is death. The result of sin is a bad day. The result of sin is some problems we'll deal with. The result of sin is an annoyance. The result of sin is death. When sin shows up, it will kill something. And see, and a lot of you don't flee from it, and you don't fight it because you don't fear it, and you don't fear it because you don't really believe this in your heart and your mind. You don't really get how dangerous sin really is, especially sexual immorality. You don't get it. You don't really get it. You don't think it's dangerous. You don't think it's out for you. You remember the first time we see the word sin, one of the first times we see it is when God describes it to Cain right before he kills his brother, and he says, I want you to, Cain, Look outside. Sin is at the door. He's crouching. He's waiting. And the moment you give him the opportunity, he's going to take you out. And I'm not going to get into politics right now with this little analogy. So if I offend you with this, shut up. I don't care. The reality of it is, is that there's a lot of times, you know, we, we kind of get this thing like with war in our country. And we don't want to fight. And we don't want to be in a war. And, we you know, we, we just want to live in peace. And we just, listen, there's nobody really, I don't think anybody's just like, you know what, I just want a ton of war in my life. I just want to send all of our soldiers off to war. I just want to, I want, I I hope 50% of our country dies in war. Nobody thinks like that. Nobody doesn't want war. Here's the reality though you don't get to decide, really. You don't get to decide when you get engaged in a war. Truthfully, you don't. Think about it. The moment somebody declares themselves an enemy in your life, or an enemy to your world, or an enemy to your country, and they're going to come after you, and they're going to try to kill you, guess what? Whether you wanted it or not, you were what? Engaged in a war. Nobody sits around and goes, we want a war. Nobody wants that. The reality is that somewhere, someone along the line, they decide that they want what you have, and they're going to come after you. And they make themselves your enemy. And they say, I'm going to come after you, and I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to wipe you out, and I'm going to take what's yours. And that's how wars begin. Do you know what Hitler's greatest strategy was early on? He convinced the whole world that he wasn't an enemy. When he first started off, he says, I'm not an enemy. I'm just gonna take fifty miles, I'm not an enemy. I'm just gonna take a little bit of Poland, I'm not an enemy, I'm just gonna take a little bit of here, I'm not an enemy. Okay, well, I guess I was their enemy, so I took that. But now I'm not, I'm not an enemy of France. Oh, wait, now I am. I'm going to take France. Oh, I'm not an enemy of Britain. Okay, well, maybe I'm an enemy of, of France and Britain, but I'm not an enemy of the rest of Europe. Okay, well, maybe I'm an enemy of Europe, but I'm not an enemy of America. I'm not an enemy of the rest of the world. And before it was too late, I mean, before we realized he was an enemy of the entire world, he had already taken everything from Europe. I mean, he took it over, right? And he did a lot of it without firing a bullet. Because whether you think that someone's an enemy or not, if they are an enemy, they're going to come after you. And if you let them get close enough, they're going to kill you. They're going to take from you everything. Right, that's sin. Sin is an enemy. And sin will kill if it is not killed. That is a fact. That is an absolute, hardcore fact. If you tolerate sin in your life, If you tolerate sin in your marriage, if you tolerate sin in the middle of the night when nobody's around, if you tolerate sin at the workplace, if you tolerate a sinful relationship with another woman or another man, if you tolerate a sinful relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, if you you tolerate that sin, you may not see him as an enemy, you may not see that situation as an enemy, and you may not think you're in any danger, but I promise you, from the bottom of my heart, from somebody that's been there and every way I can tell you what the Bible says is true. If you allow sin to hang out around your life, that sin will show up when you least expect it and it will cut your throat and it will take everything from you. It is dangerous. And it is serious. And it is real. And I know it's hard for some of you to get that. I know when everything's going good and everything's going great, it's hard for you to understand that until it creeps up and it takes out somebody you love or it creeps up and it hits your family out of nowhere, or it creeps up. That's what sin does. It shows up, and if you don't kill it the moment it comes up, and you don't wipe it out the moment it comes up, and you don't flee from it the moment it comes up, the moment it has the opportunity to take you out, it will take you out. The moment it has the opportunity to destroy your marriage, it will destroy your marriage. The moment it has the opportunity to take everything from you and burn your life to the ground, that's exactly what sin will do. Do you know that nobody goes to hell because of Satan? Nobody. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. We all deserve hell because of sin. Sin is incredibly dangerous. And the longer you let it in your life, and listen, I get humanity, dude. We are the most arrogant, prideful people. The human race, we think in our hearts and our minds, man, we got this thing. God doesn't know what he's talking about. God warns me against it. I've got it figured out. I got it covered. And things are good. And you're rolling. And life's everything. And you're just chilling out. Everything's good. Until the moment that the consequence of that sin takes something you desperately love. And then you step back after the fact. And you look, you know what? God was right. It did. It took everything. It did. It destroyed it. It did. It did. I think because of the toleration of sin in our life, there's a lot of reasons our marriages never quite look like what we read about in Song of Solomon last week. Because you're tolerating some sin, maybe your spouse doesn't know about it, you're tolerating some sin maybe on the internet, you're tolerating some sin maybe with a relationship you shouldn't be in, you're tolerating some sin. And that toleration of sin in your life is preventing you from experiencing what you were designed to experience. And what you designed to experience was God's deep, powerful love in a marriage and in a relationship. And he says, Flee from this. Run away from it. Get away from it. Don't let it in your dating relationship. Don't let it in your marriage. Don't let it in your family. The moment you see it, you run from it because if you don't run from it and you let it get close enough, it will take from you everything. And he goes on. To say this, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God and your body. Now, I want, you to, I want you to notice two things here. Remember, I said we're going to spend this morning, we're going to elevate two more things. The first thing you need to elevate, maybe in a different way, but you need to elevate your view on sin. Because sin is not just a thing. Sin is a destructive force of nature that will wipe you out. And you need to take that from your little view and you need to put it up because I'm telling you, it's powerful. And if you think you're stronger than it, you're not. And give it time, it'll prove you wrong. But the second thing, and I don't know if you've noticed this pattern, the second thing that Paul's elevating throughout the entire scripture and really throughout this entire book of Corinthians, he's elevating your body. He's elevating you. He says, your body's not designed for sexual immorality. Your body's designed for the Lord, for God. You're not really a part of the world. Your body, you, you're a part of Christ, and Christ is a part of you. Then he closes it with, don't you understand your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom God has given you? So he says, I want you to understand three things about You. Your body is meant for the Lord, your body is a part of Christ, and your body is filled with the spirit of a living God. Now, I know there's a lot of people in this room that believe that, but you don't get the power behind that belief. You are meant for God and God's design, and your flesh, your body, is a part of Christ, and you yourself are a temple, a house for the spirit of the living God. And I know sometimes it may sound weird saying it out loud, but I want you to think about the power of what God's saying. I created you, and I bought you, I saved you, and now you're for me, and you're a part of Christ, and your body is filled with the spirit of God. You are designed for greatness. You are designed to experience love like you cannot imagine. You are designed for far more than you can really believe or imagine. And see, what I really want you to understand, and and Paul's point, not just in Corinthians, but in Romans and so many other things, is that what sin does is sin takes what you were meant for away from you. Letting sin in your life, that's going to take away that perfect design. And here's the reality. And and again, I think people lose this sometimes. But when you give your heart to Christ, when you start to follow God, God is a part of you in a miraculous, amazing way. The Spirit of God is with you, in you, a part of you. And there's a design in this thing, marriage and, and this life, to find and to fall in love and to experience sex as it was meant to be and intimacy as it was meant to be. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Right, but what Paul's saying is like, listen, if you get to this place where you are living and you're allowing sin to come in, that sin is going to steal that from you. And, and, I, and I get, we say that, and, but here's what I want you to really understand. I really want you to get this. Sin does not mean capital murder. Sin is sin. Sin is any sin that you commit. And when you start to tolerate a little bit of sin, it opens up the door to more sin. When you start to tolerate a little bit of, maybe a little bit of first base, first base turns to second, second turns to third, third turns to a home run. And when you start to tolerate sexual immorality or sexual sin of any kind, it starts to creep in and take away everything from you. And here's the reality. There's a lot of people in this room. You've been to a lot of dark places with sin. Sexually and not sexually. There's a lot of you in this room, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. I don't, you, I don't care what you say. There are secrets in your life that you're going through right now. Nobody knows about. There's 94% of men between the ages of 18 and 18. And 30 years old struggle with pornography. 94%. So I know that most of you do. And we don't have to talk about it and we can act like it's not there and, and we can, this is church, that's no place to talk about pornography. Right? But you do, man, you struggle with it. There's all kinds of affairs and adultery and sexual sin and sex outside of marriage and there's all kinds of people living together and, and they're struggling. Because in their heart, they want, you know, they want to honor God and they, and they want to do this, but then there's just this sexual sin in their life and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it and they're trying to go. And before long, you kind of just get in this place, this dark place. And what begins to happen, I see this over and over and over and over again. And, and do you know why? There's a, I'm not a drug addict, but there's a drug addict saying that if you spot it, you got it. Drug addicts, they can spot each other because they know the symptoms. And, dude, I can see it in so many people, man. There's things that are lost because I've been there. I've struggled with them. I've seen what these little hidden secrets can do to a life. I've been there. I've lived through it. I know. And the closer you try to get to God, the more those little secrets damage you. The, more you, the closer you try to get, the more those little sins become a bigger and a bigger deal. And, dude, it takes you to places. And here's what tends to happen, especially with sexual immorality. I want you to notice what he says. He says all the other, all the other sins are outside the body. But sexual immorality, when you sin sexually, it sins against your own body. That means it's causing problems for your own flesh. It's causing problems for you spiritually, emotionally. And I've been there. All right? I've been there when guilt comes in and a feeling of worthlessness comes in. I've been there on the other side of sexual immorality and sexual sin as a believer. I've been there when that guilt trips into your life and that feeling of worthlessness comes into your life. Do you realize there was a point I knew the moment that I was saved, the moment I was saved, I was gonna be a preacher. Knew it beyond the shadow of a doubt. No doubt in my mind. Nobody told me it. I knew it the moment I gave my life to Christ. I was going to be a preacher. I was going to be in the ministry. And for years I struggled with sexual immorality. I struggled with sexual sin. I struggled with this thing where you just get it in and you know know you're called to be a preacher. You know you're called to live a certain way. You know you're called to have a marriage a certain way. But no matter what you do and no matter what you say and no matter how hard you try or how hard you want it, you just can't seem to conquer this thing in your life. I've been there and I've suffered through the worthlessness. And there's been so many times in my late teens and my early 20s when I was like, there's no way I'm going to be a preacher. There's no way I'm going to make it. There's no way I'm worthless to God. I don't deserve it. I'm too dirty. I'm not there. I've slept around with too many people. I've watched too many things. I've gone too far across the line. I'll never make it back. I'll never be able to conquer this stuff. I'll never be able to do it. I'm going to tell you right now, you can act tough and you can act strong and you can act like it's not there and you can act like it doesn't bother you and you can act like you, you, you sleep around and it didn't affect you and you can act like you've had multiple boyfriends and multiple partners and multiple girls and it didn't affect you, but the reality of it is it does affect you. It will affect you, and it will keep on affecting you until you address it by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are things in your life that will breed guilt in you and breed worthlessness, and you get this feeling that you're just not worth it. And when things go bad, you think, is God punishing me? Is he going to take this off from me? And and you just get this feeling of just, just worthlessness. It's what sexual immorality does to your body. It's what it does to you. It just gets a sense of worthlessness, a sense of dirtiness. It just takes things from you but I want you to know something about God. I want you to know something about Jesus. And it was probably the all-time greatest truth I ever experienced, the greatest revelation I ever had. There's a a little chapter in Ezekiel, just one little statement. For whatever reason, just lit my world on fire. The situation right here is the people of Israel, man, they're just stupid. Just stupid people. And they had a massive amount of sexual sin creep in at this certain point, along with a bunch of other sin, idolatry. And it drove them away from their home. It drove them away from from where God wanted them to be. It drove them away from God. It drove them away from, from the promised land. It drove them away from God's design for their life. It drove them away from their purpose. That's the thing I don't think we get a lot of time, that sin drives us away from our purpose. It drives you away from what you were born to do. It drives you away. Sexual sin, it drives you away from the purpose of marriage. It drives you away. It doesn't want you to experience love like God wants you to experience. It doesn't want you to experience intimacy. It doesn't want you to experience a good marriage. It doesn't want you to experience these things. It drives you away. It gets you so far from God. And God makes a statement, he says, He says, and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, your brothers, even your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them, all of those who are inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord to the land it's given for possession. And listen, therefore the Lord says, though I remove them far off among the nations, though I scattered them far off among the, uh, the, the countries, makes this one statement. Yet, I have always been a sanctuary to them. Now, you may not get the power of what he just said. So I'm going to tell it to you. He said, all these people, man, they committed the darkest, deepest sins. They had a lifestyle of the darkest, deepest sins. And they got so far away from me. They even moved. They even were driven out of the country. They were driven to a totally different land. Away from Canaan. Away from the promised land. Away from what I created them for. Away from their design. Away from their purpose. Away from it all. And he said, but even in their darkest, deepest days, I was still their sanctuary. That means I never quit looking out for them. No matter how far away they got, I never quit loving them. I never forsook them. I always went after them and I always brought them home. They never lost their value to God. And I may be the only one in the room that needed this in their life, but they never lost their value to God. See, there's a lot of you, you think your value to God is based off your own actions. It's based off your ability to be good, or based off your ability to follow some rules, based off your ability to be whatever you think you're supposed to be. And what he says is, you are valuable, because God says you're valuable. When I I met Courtney and fell in love with her, and I want to get married to her, and I did what everybody does when they fall in love and want to get married. They go to the store, they want to buy a diamond, I want to buy a ring. wish we could change that. It's expensive. But I went, I want to buy this ring, and I started researching diamonds. And one of the things at this, this jewelry store, they said, listen, you can buy this diamond today day and pay this amount for it, you can wear it for 10 years, and if you bring it back, we'll honor that same price from the day you bought it. I was like, really, why? So said, diamonds don't lose their value. I said, diamonds don't lose their value. That's awesome. Diamonds don't lose their value. The thing about diamond is, everybody's seen the Titanic. Remember the, the, the diamond on there, the big diamond? It's around her neck in the picture, the naked one. You know, it's a good series to tell the story. But that diamond, it was worth, I think they said around 20 at the time. In our day, it would have been like $20 million, something crazy. And, for years and years and years and years, after the Titanic sank down, people would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars going on expeditions through the Titanic to try to find this diamond, like what the movie's based off. And you think, man, why? Are they, they're going down all the way down to the, the deepest part of the Titanic. It's buried in soot and mud, and it's dirty, and it's old. And, and they say, listen, that diamond's still just as valuable, filthy, and dirty, and nasty as it is spotless, beautiful, and clean. And that's the thing I want you to understand about your life. Is a diamond, is a diamond, is a diamond. A diamond is just as valuable on a queen's neck as it is on a prostitute's neck. A diamond is just as valuable, spotless and clean on your hand, as it is lost and dirty at the bottom of the ocean. And that is your life. To Jesus Christ, you are just as valuable, holy or unholy. You are just as valuable, clean, as you are dirty. You are just as valuable addicted to pornography, you are just as valuable in the middle of your deepest, darkest sexual sins, you are just as valuable in the backseat of that car, you are just as valuable. You don't lose your value to God because of sin. Romans says that Christ died for you right in the middle of that sin when you did not deserve it. The message is this morning, because we're going to leave this kind of this part of the series, and we're going to go on to some awesome stuff, but I want you to understand that there are some deep, dark secrets in your life that you need to address. A lot of you need to address them and confess them and move on from them, but that they don't take away your value. You hear me, and I will argue to the day I die, they will not take away Jesus' love for you will not take away your salvation. It will not take away because your value, your righteousness, your holiness, your cleanliness is not based off you. It is based off the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the universe. Nobody in this room deserves salvation. Nobody, nobody in this room deserves salvation. Nobody. And you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Grace was a gift God gave you. And you need to carry that truth all the way, all the way through. Right? God loves you. And no matter how far away you get, he's waiting on you to come back. And I'm going to tell you something. The sin in your life, right, the truth will set you free if you keep that porn and you keep that affair and you keep that emotions and you keep that inside of you, it's going to take everything away from you. But the moment that you expose it, you take away its power and you allow God to begin to work on you and work on it. And and it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, and amazing thing. And so this morning, I want you to understand two things. Sin is powerful and if it is in your life, flee from it. If you don't in time, it's going to take everything from you. And the second thing I want you to understand, whether it's from yesterday, today, or tomorrow, no matter where you go, God's got his eyes on you. And he loves you. And he is for you. He is never against you. He died for you. And he saved you. And he is the one that guarantees your value, not you. And so this morning... As we close in worship, I want you to worship God and to thank him for all that he has done for your life. And if there is an ounce of guilt in you, guilt is not of God. Guilt is not of God. If you will bow your knee to Christ, you will confess your sins. He will forgive you of anything and everything and then you need to get up and you need to make war on that sin in your life. And there's going to be some of you that hear this and you're going to go for it, and there's going to be some of you that you're just going to yawn your way into your next divorce. You're going to yawn your way into your next affair. You're going to close your eyes and walk away and you're going to go eat your lunch and you're going to wake up one day and it's going to take everything from you. Give it. Give it to God. If you guys will stand with me. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit rest in this room, God. I pray, Lord, right now that you will move. I pray, Father, as we begin to sing your song, as we just begin to lift our hands, as we begin to stand before you, the words of this song say, listen, I can't offer you anything but my heart. I can't offer you anything but my life. I can't offer you anything, God. And I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit rest in this room, God. I pray, Father God, whether they stay in their seats or they come to this altar, or they leave this room and do it somewhere else, God. I pray, Lord, that anybody that comes to you, God, anybody that bows before you, anybody that that opens up the secret sins of their life, anybody that confesses a sexual immorality, anybody that chooses to see this as an enemy and fight it, God, I pray, Lord, that you will show up in mighty, magnificent ways, God. I pray, Lord, that you will free teenagers, from addictions to pornography. I pray that you will free marriages from the effects of sexual immorality. I pray, Lord God, right now that you will restore families. Lord, I pray, God, right now that you will take and give back, Lord God, what sin has taken from so many people, God. I pray, Lord, right now if there's any marriages struggling with any kind of sexual immorality or anything, God, that's about to lead to a divorce, God, that you will just move in ways that we can't imagine. God, I pray, Lord God, for every dating relationship, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that if there's two people, Lord God, that are engaging in sexual immorality, that you will let your spirit be with them, God, and break that up and let them do it your way. Let them do it with your design, God. I pray, Lord, right now, no matter what sin is confessed, that you forgive it all, God. I pray, Lord, that every single person in this room, no matter what they struggle with or what they've done or what they're in the middle of doing, Lord God, that you will show them great power, mercy, and commitment, God. I pray, Lord, right now for every single soul in this room, Lord, that we will leave here fully restored, God. I pray, God, let people leave things at the altar this morning. God, let people leave here changed, leave here different, leave here ready to make war against the sin in their life, God. I thank you, Father, for all you've done and all you'll do.